Hi, this is episode 31 of K-Ray Reads to You. Today we have part one of chapter 11 of Absolute Zero by Helen Cresswell. Chapter 11 Mrs. Fosdyke was frankly disbelieving when told about the Bagthorpe's overnight promotion to the happiest family in England. I never heard such nonsense, she said briskly to Jack, who was first down. Happy indeed. Whatever next? And we're all going to be on telly on Christmas Day, he went on, including Zero. The programs at Christmas is always rubbish, declared Mrs. Fosdyke deflatingly. They're never in this world going to make a film in this house, the state it's in. They are, Jack nodded. They said they wanted us exactly as we are. They thought the fire and flood sounded really interesting and happy. Mrs. Fosdyke snorted. Perhaps they'd like to come to tea one day, she said, and have a dish of oxtail trifle and see how happy that makes them. Whose turn is it today? Not that it makes any difference. She was consulting the tin-shaking Rota on the pantry door. Mr. Bagthorpe, Sr. Ah, well, she drew a deep sigh. No better and no worse than anyone he ain't, and at least a gentleman with it. You don't get him hooting at baked beans for a fruit salad. Apologize, he does, every time, ever so handsome. Grandpa is polite, agreed Jack. Where's them workmen got to? inquired Mrs. Fosdyke. Here by now they ought to be. Are they coming or not? We shall never get this place straight. Jack told her about the row and about the workman's defection. Mrs. Fosdyke was not surprised and said so. More than ordinary flesh and blood's used to the goings-on in this house. There'll be workmen giving their notices every five minutes. Bound to be. She was wrong about this. Later workmen, not having had the benefit of hearing Mr. Bagthorpe's diatribe about bills, tended to stay on, despite all setbacks, out of sheer curiosity. They wanted to see what happened next. Quite apart from the daily rituals of tin-shaking and the average once-a-day furor, a lot of extra things began to happen to the Bagthorpes during the ensuing weeks. The competition entering began to pay off, sometimes in surprising and even unwelcome ways. Mr. Bagthorpe's first win, for instance, entitled him to a free stay at Talboy's Health Farm. He won this by accident. It was, as his wife pointed out, his own fault for not reading the small print. The competition had been run by the makers of a well-known fresh orange drink, and what Mr. Bagthorpe had really been after was a fortnight at a first-class hotel on the island where the oranges were grown. He was disgusted by his runner's-up prize and the letter that came with it, which ended up by wishing him a happy, healthy future with better orange juice. "'I have read about health farms,' he said, "'and have no intention of entering one. I should return an attenuated wreck, addicted to soybeans and raw yeast.' "'Oh, really, Henry,' protested his wife. "'They are the most splendid places. "'You would return lithe and fit for Christmas, "'and have rubbed shoulders with the rich and famous.' "'I have no wish to rub shoulders with the rich and famous,' he replied, "'particularly in a Turkish bath. "'Like who, for instance?' "'Mrs. Bagthorpe wheeled off a list of well-known politicians, "'TV personalities, and film actresses, "'who were all known to be regular patrons of health farms.' "'It would, of course, be useful material for future scripts,' he mused, "'the names of two of his own favorite film actresses "'having figured in Mrs. Bagthorpe's list. "'Of course it would,' she agreed. "'Why not write and say that you will go in the week after next, "'the last week in November? "'It will be so quiet there, "'and it must be very hard for you to write "'with the house so full of workmen.' 
"'I am used, of course,' he said, "'to writing under conditions that would have stopped even Charles Dickens in his tracks.' "'I know, dear, and we're terribly proud of you,' replied his wife. "'But think what you might achieve during a period of total peace.' "'I cannot for the moment imagine what total peace is like,' said Mr. Bagthorpe. "'But I think you are right. I must go, for everybody's sake.' And so, to the amazement and ill-concealed delight of the rest of the family, he wrote off accepting his prize and fixing on a date a week hence for his stay. Once having decided to go, he was impervious to all quips and warnings from his unsympathetic family. "'Crikey, father, you've got a nerve,' William told him. "'They won't give you any food, you know. You'll come back half the man you are.' "'Or develop anorexia nervosa,' added Tess, "'which can be fatal, although admitted more likely to be so in the case of an adolescent female, which you are not.' "'Debbie Beaumont's mother went to one of those,' chipped in Rosie, "'and Debbie says her eyes sunk all in.' Grandma contented herself with being lofty. She was going to miss her son. He instigated a good seventy-five per cent of all Bagthorpian rows, and she needed someone to pit herself against. "'While not disputing that you have plenty of poisons in your system which require draining,' she said, "'I am disappointed, Henry, that you do not have the necessary will-power and strength of character to drain yourself. The health farm is the most expensive form of starvation known to man. You should stay at home.' "'and drain your own poisons, and send the hundreds of pounds saved to Oxfam.' "'Mr. Bagthorpe pointed out that the money involved was to be spent by better orange-juice, not himself, "'and that he did not believe that Oxfam would be a cause that they would wish public to, publicly to espouse. "'Let them send a thousand gallons of the orange-juice to Oxfam, then,' replied Grandma, uncrushed. "'They could remove all the labels as you did yourself, Henry. "'Nobody can count on orange-juice in this house any more.' Mr. Bagthorpe was adamant. He would go, he said, unless prevented by an act of God, in the absence of Daisy. He would later regret this. Other prizes began to arrive during the following week. Most of them were minor ones. There was, for instance, a spate of hair dryers at the beginning of the week, followed by a lot of leather diaries and three yogurt makers. On Wednesday, however, Grandma and Daisy scored again. This time as purported regular users of a certain brand of toothpaste. This realized Mr. Bagthorpe's own worst fears, particularly as the letter was promptly followed up by two men from Generation Gap Fluoride Toothpaste. One was the PR man, and the other a photographer. They wished to use photographs of Grandma and Daisy in their advertisements, and were going to be very disenchanted, as Mr. Bagthorpe observed when the Blue Lagoon lanolin-enriched toilet soap people launched their new campaign. "'Somebody,' he said ominously, "'will probably sue somebody, "'especially as you, mother, "'are wearing exactly the same dress and earrings "'as you wore for the Blue Lagoon photographs.' "'Mr. Bagthorpe was in a particularly bad mood that day, "'after having failed to win a motorized caravan "'and ended up instead with a car-tool kit. "'It will be as much use to me,' he said, "'as a pair of knitting-needles to a penguin. "'A man of my temperament doesn't look under hoods. "'All machines are infernal. "'Machines are the opium of the masses. "'If all the machines in England were thrown into the North Sea tomorrow, "'we should be back in the Garden of Eden, "'and the weather would probably improve.'" When William pointed out that it had been an illogical step for a man like Mr. Bagthorpe to take in entering a competition for any infernal machine in the first place, he was ignored. I shall give that tool kit to Russell for Christmas, 
Mr. Bagthorpe said, cheering a little at the thought. I'm running out of ideas for useless things to give him. He drives around the countryside, doing ten miles to the gallon, and maiming people left and right, and has never seen a carburetor, whatever that is, in his life. Let him get under his hood. He thus fulminated as Mrs. Bagthorpe telephoned the Knolls to inform the Parkers of Daisy's latest triumph. She will be over in an hour, she announced on her return. Celia wants time to tidy her up a little. I should think so, returned her husband. Are the child's teeth all her own? This was a jibe aimed at Grandma, who had naturally cheated in this competition, this time to the extent of claiming all her teeth as her own. This was not true, as the whole family knew. Sometimes, in the kind of tense, drawn-out silence that cropped up so often in the household, Grandma would click her dentures around in her mouth to intensify things further. <laughs> "'You told a deliberate falsehood,' said Mr. Bagthorpe. "'False being the operative word.' "'Any woman would have done the same,' returned Grandma calmly. "'It is our privilege. No one, I hope, will have the face to ask me to open wide.' And that's the end of part one of chapter 11. See you next time.